hands together, Mr. Miyagi style. All right, I'm ready. So, Lacey Kemp, what the heck? Mm. Kaylee Kornhauser, what the absolute heck? She's amazing. You know what? My favorite thing about Kaylee, this is going to sound so strange. I like listening to her talk because she no. has this she has this she's... really incredible intonation and she speaks so so like she's so articulate and I love her stories and I could just listen like she should be the one having a podcast because she's so great to listen to. She's amazing to listen to. I'm not sure what the subtext of you saying that is. I'm a little hurt. But also <laughs> she is amazing to talk to and the stoke that comes through in her voice when she talks about cycling makes me want to go ride bikes. Yeah, is... she's in it's 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 infectious. I mean, she's the person and I cuz I just had an interview with her last week as well. And I think what I love so much about her is that she's just, she's very visual with the way she speaks and you can just really put yourself in her shoes and yeah. on her rides with her. And I love that. I mean, I love, I love how much she takes in when she rides. And I think that's a big motivation for her is just to like slow down and let, let the world unfold in front of her on her bike as opposed to rushing from here to there she's somebody who really wants to observe and absorb everything from every ride and it's really nice to find somebody who's not interested in like crushing your soul but she's more interested in like <laughs> she's more interested in building like and like nourishing your soul through cycling and it's pretty cool it's very inspirational i agree we actually we talk about that quite a bit the fact that you know the the bike world, and you go into a lot of bike shops, they're focused on like, okay, we're going to outfit you to be Lance Armstrong, or, you know, I guess you're not supposed to say his name anymore, but you know what I mean. And that's just not how the vast majority of people ride. Like, we're not out there trying to get a podium or, or even like clock the fastest time. And she is just so stoked to be on the ride and, and to take it in, to use it as like a meditation and to use it as a way to see the world. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And you're right. The way she conveys it through her language is just incredible. Yeah. Uh, it's no it's, wonder that so many people sign up for her workshops and, and listen to her talk. It's really, it's really, she has a unique way of storytelling. And I think it's really, it really resonates with me. And um, I think another thing I really love about Kaylee is how much she appreciates what she's, what her body is physically able to do. Um, you know, we all, every human is born a different shape and a different size and there is no ideal way to be and Kaylee takes that idea and embraces the fact that her body has taken her to some really amazing places and they've taken it's taken her to faraway places and she always feels amazed and impressed by that and I think that that's really cool to give yourself credit for what you can actually do I agree um I think you know I think the best way to let people experience this is, is just to let them hear her talk. So, uh, Lacey, thanks so much for doing this intro with me, and I'm going to hand it over to Kaylee. All right. I'll be quiet now. Enjoy listening to Kaylee. <laughs> in a world of technology where we can send movies around i don't even know it's it's insane that so to the listeners <laughs> so this is our second take at this much rescheduled podcast because the first take we did which was epic might i add 
Um, no one will ever get to hear because the recording service we use online uh, seems to have lost the file, which is literally their one job. So uh, we are no longer clients with that company. And uh, Kaylee, how are you? I'm doing really well. Yeah, glad to get to talk to you again. <laughs> I know. Luckily, you're fun and easy to talk to. Um, so do you have the script? No, I'm just kidding. So... <laughs> Uh, are you your home? I take it. I can't believe the last time we did this, like the next day, I noticed that you were you flew cross country and were in Maine like two hours <laughs> yeah. from me. And I was like, oh, cool. She probably should have just driven up there and done this over a lobster. Yeah. Roll. <laughs> oh, well. um, where are you? Are you at home? Yeah, I'm at home and I, I actually leave for Washington uh, kind of right after this for another wedding. So. <laughs> nice. Ooh. Tis the season, I guess. And congratulations yep. <laughs> on your semi-recent nuptials. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's very exciting. Um, what a year. Uh, so yeah. I guess um, let's just start at the beginning. I mean, people probably know who you are by now, but um, how did you get started in cycling? How did how did cycling come into your life? And actually, let's let's rewind a little bit more. Who the heck is Kaylee Kornhauser, and what does she do? <laughs> yeah, I so I'm Kaylee Kornhauser, <laughs> and I I live in Corvallis, Oregon. I'm a PhD student. I study natural resource management, specifically in in our national forests here in the U.S. And uh, I ride bikes. Uh, I commute on my bike and I like mountain biking and I love bike packing. Uh, and I'm also fat and I work uh, to, you know, uh, create more body size inclusivity in, uh, in the sport and activity of cycling and riding bikes. Yeah. So you've actually become um like a thought leader and an influencer in that space. And that's, um, I know that's not what you set out to do, but how did yeah. that come to happen? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it is not what I set out to do. When I started riding bikes, in fact, I kind of approached it through like thinking it would be a weight loss tool. Uh, and then, you know, after years of riding my bike and not losing any weight, I realized like I don't have to wait until, I weigh a certain amount or look a certain way uh, to consider myself a person who rides bikes, you know, or a cyclist, like I'm a cyclist now. And so uh, I started to like speak more openly about it and connected with uh, other people who are in this space or other outdoor rec spaces who are talking about body size and, uh, and their sport and got these great opportunities to host workshops and write articles and eventually do a film with Shimano uh, called All Bodies on Bikes. And now I work, uh, it's kind of like my side, side gig, I say, uh, working with uh, another cyclist, Marley Blonsky, uh, on this project, All Bodies on Bikes, where we try to educate and get people, uh, get people of all sizes back on their bike or on a bike for the first time, or just people who already ride bikes that just don't feel like part of the community to feel like they do belong. So it's, it's an undeniably brave thing to, to take up cycling and then to, to have these realizations about yourself and, and about the lack of inclusivity and in, especially in the cycling world. 
And then to, to create a platform for yourself. I mean, when you say you started talking about it, how did that come about? Because that's that's a pretty pretty ballsy thing to do to put yourself out there like that, especially yeah. if you don't already see a support system in existence. Yeah, the first, I mean, I was really scared at first. The first time I ever called myself fat was in writing in, and I had the great privilege of going to a master's program that really focused on creative writing. And we had a supportive group of people who would critique your work. And I started writing about what it meant to be a, you know, a person in a larger body who rides bikes and how it feels. And that was the first time I ever put it out there to the world uh, and acknowledged it. And obviously everybody could see me, you know, and see me on a bike. So people probably already knew that I was a larger person riding a bike, but just writing it was, it was liberating. And then hearing the responses I got from my classmates at that point, it kind of encouraged me to keep talking openly about it. Uh, and I did feel like I had some support, even though it wasn't necessarily from the biking community, it was from my academic community. But uh, that kind of gave me the courage then to write more. And I also just got great opportunities um, from Bicycling Magazine, who gave me the chance to write an article about this that ended up being featured on the cover. And so I think that then started to give me more courage. And there's also groups like Radical Adventure Riders, formerly WTF Bike Explorers, that had already been in the space of creating inclusivity and in cycling. So I felt like even though it was a new thing in the cycling world to talk about body size, uh, it I had some support built in. But it's definitely scary because you hear about the type of feedback that pe that larger people get when they talk about, you know, owning their bodies and body neutrality or body positivity on the internet. You kind of, you know, we've all heard like the horror stories of what people receive back from the world when they put that type of stuff out there. Yeah, the especially with social media, I think the the cultural stereotypes of what people should look like or what people should do are are strongly reinforced by like definitely what I would call a negative feedback loop. Did you ever encounter any of that sort of online hate or pushback? Yeah, I think, you know, uniquely less so than, than other people that I know in this space. Um, I think I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised by the amount of positive feedback that, that I receive and that Marley also receives doing this work with all bodies on bikes. Like, I think we put a, you know, we're really positive. We come into this like space with joy and trying to spread the joy of cycling. And we get that back from people, I'd say 90% of the time. Um, there are, you know, there's always people who aren't gonna, you know, love what you're putting out. And I think especially when it comes to body size, it's a really sensitive topic. Everybody has a body and everybody has a relationship that is not 100% positive. Uh, to their own bodies. So it's really personal. And I think I try to remember that when we do hear negative feedback from people, that it's like, it's, it's coming from a place of their own insecurity, or, you know, their own concerns, or, you know, kind of misguided notions. Um, and, and it's, it is not the majority of the feedback that that I receive. So I'm really lucky uh, that I, I do feel like it's a bit of a positive feedback loop. <laughs> um, 
it does seem like there's been or not even seem like there has been a huge push over the past few years to make cycling more inclusive and i i think it's i think it's really good i mean i feel like mountain biking in particular has been better about it than maybe sure. road riding yeah. um, but th- i think they're also two super different disciplines with a different mindset built sure. in but what do you, do you think that ground is being gained and and what could be done better yeah, I see a lot of ground being gained. I think, you know, for a long time, the industry and the media has been very focused on racing or like elite athletes, which uh, like inherently, regardless of the sport, you know, is going to show a certain type of person uh, doing the activity. And then you know, the general kind of knowledge about that activity is that you have to kind of be like that person or aspire to be like that elite athlete to do the activity. And I see that changing a lot. I think bikepacking for me changes that a lot because it's not a race and <laughs> it's kind of just, it's a ridiculous activity. Like it's, it's just kind of a silly thing to do. And so it's kind of, it's like everybody can do it. And and it's ridiculous no matter who's doing it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think also commuting is like, is it's a utility. Like biking is such a unique recreation because it's also a way to get around. And so I think we're lucky to be in this space of like trying to create inclusivity in cycling because it, it is like, it sort of lends itself to being that type of activity. Um, I think we can just continue to do more of this work and continue to listen to voices that hadn't been centered before in cycling. I think that's, that's sort of what's happening anyways. Uh, And so I think we're on, we're like totally on the right track. Like so many people are getting into cycling for the first time are coming back to it right now. And I think the industry and the community is like kind of rallying around that, which is so it's like a really awesome time to be a bike rider. (laughs) It is. It's it's interesting to watch. So obviously we're biased. We work with Kona and Kona, I think, yeah. has always done a really good job of, of like championing the fun side of cycling. Totally. Um, but I've worked with other uh, larger brands in the space and their entire marketing system is based around competition and right. and racing. And that trickles down to the shops because almost every shop has like their one big brand that they carry and then other side yeah. brands. It's just how it works. And it's all about like, you know, so I'm not a small person and, you know, I go in to get fitted to a bike. I'm like, oh, like this is making my back hurt, whatever. I've been riding for right. years, but I can't figure it out. And, you know, I'll go in, I've gone in with my, I have a Suture Limited set up as like a steel kind of do it all bike. Sure. It's a very upright position. And they're like, well, you need like 110 millimeter stem. You need to be bent over. You need to be in the race position. Mm. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> my top speed is like less than your average, like small mammal can move. Like I don't <laughs> like, and even if you state that it, it seems to confuse them. But so it, it's, it's interesting that, or it seems to me that at a at a very foundational level, like there needs to be a perspective shift, and and I do yeah. hope that that's happening. You know, I I don't spend a lot of time in in regular bike shops, um, but yeah, I would hope that I think that's where it needs to be opened up. 
totally. the most and the perspective needs to be taken on like not everyone wants to be Lance Armstrong or needs no, to be or yeah. should aspire to be. Right. Yeah. I think I what I've been so surprised by is the types of people that have responded to the message that that we're putting out with all bodies on bikes. Like I assumed it would just be other people in large bodies, but it turns out like so many people who already rode bikes aren't inspired by like the elite athlete goals like that's that's just like not what keeps them going and for me it was like kind of a dangerous motivator because it turned cycling into a really negative thing for me of like I need to be a certain way and like I need to ride a certain way I just don't think it invites that many people in I think like centering joy as the motivator like we do it because it's fun you know it feels good like <laughs> that's like why we ride bikes I think at least that invites me and I think it invites more people <laughs> absolutely and, you know <laughs> well and you know for myself like I am I'm like anti-competitive I just I've just never yeah I, I don't know I've just never had a competitive <laughs> bone in my body and when people start like when it starts heating up, you're like, oh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get there first. I'm like, I'm gonna stop and drink a beer. Like, I don't yep. <laughs> go get them, Tiger. <laughs> like, whatever you're, I hope you get it. That's great. Um, I'm just gonna stop and let you do that, and then I'll, you know, I'm gonna go find this, sh- like, look at shiny things over here. Totally. But um, <laughs> and but I think you're really hitting something with coming at it from, like, having joy be the centerpiece. You know, I wish like trickle down economics, I guess. Um, I wish that people would just find that as a centerpiece to everything they do in life, not just yeah. not just the way they engage with bikes. Because I think so much of what we do these days is through some sort of weird like societal compressor yeah. of like what you feel like you're supposed to do. And, and so much of that is just such a weird bummer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but let's but let's talk about you directly. How did you how did you even get involved in cycling? Where where are you from and and how did cycling come into your life? Yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, where biking, at least when I grew up, was not really that common unless you were like Lance Armstrong, <laughs> <laughs> and um and you know or a kid. And so as a little kid, I you know rode my bike around the neighborhood and then. One time in high school, like a group of friends um, and I got this kind of harebrained idea to ride our bikes over the Wisconsin border and back, which was like 50 miles round trip. And I had never ridden probably more than five miles. I had no idea (laughs) that bikes even had tubes in the tire. Like if the tire had gone flat, my (laughs) plan was just to like call the police or something or like, I don't know. what I was going to do. Exactly. I'm sure Chicago PD would have responded well to that. <laughs> yeah, to that call. they probably would not have come. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just knew nothing. It was a bike from Walmart or Sports Authority or something, but it worked. You know, we went and we came back and my butt had never hurt that bad in my whole life. And <laughs> then I didn't bike again for a while. But when I moved, I moved to Salt Lake City, Utah for college and ended up living there for seven years didn't have a car or a license at that time and needed to like get around you know (laughs) it's like I needed groceries I had my job was a couple miles away and and so I just picked up a bike from the bicycle collective there which is an awesome resource and 
started biking, but I wasn't, it was not for fun. Like, and it wasn't, I wouldn't consider it joyful. It was very much like, <laughs> like, I wish I could afford a car, but I have to ride this bike. <laughs> and, but then I started like, you know, my friends, some of my friends were riding bikes for fun. And they were, that was the first time I knew adults who were riding for fun in styles that weren't like road Peloton riding. And I started going on these like late night rides where we'd take the public transport up Salt Lake's like in a mountain valley. So we'd take kind of the subway system up to the very top of, of the line at the highest elevation it went. And then we just bombed down the hills, uh, which I think they kind of outlawed now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was basically like a ski lift for bikes. And that really got me into like realizing it was super fun to ride bikes. And then it started to become part of my identity. And I bought my first steel bike. And then that was when I started to be like, well, to be a cyclist, I need to like accomplish certain things. And that's when it started to like, turn a bit unhealthy for me was like when I was like trying to prove something I was like I better prove either by making my body look in air quotes more athletic or by doing these like huge rides that would prove that I was you know an accomplished cyclist and so I started riding really long distances and then that was bikepacking in its early days, uh, you know, where you just pick like a random fire road on a, on Google maps and hope it was bikeable. And, <laughs> and then eventually that's, that's bike packing today too. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty much the same thing I do now. So like throw <laughs> some I'm, stuff in a bag, cross your fingers and, and go. Yeah. I have more capable equipment now. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. And, and then over time it really transitioned to being like, well, I've done the long rides and like, you know, I know I'm a cyclist and I've commuted for so long. And, and so now it's turned into, now I'm in a space where I really have this, the, the like space to be joyful. Like, I don't feel like I'm trying to prove things. I don't feel competitive. I just feel like biking is really fun and feels really good. And I love being out in, you know, wild spaces that you can only get to on a bike or that you enjoy so differently on a bike than you would in a car um that yeah it's like a real like privilege to be in this space now but it's taken a long time you know of biking when it didn't feel so good (laughs) to get to this (laughs) Uh, so would you say that obviously you're a nature lover just based on what you're studying in college would you say that you're cycling has fed into that or do they feed each other absolutely yeah the first long or some of the first long rides I went on uh with a friend we took a trip around the Colorado plateau and then uh another trip across Alaska where we interviewed people who lived in these rural communities about uh how climate change is impacting their lives and specifically road to sites of like resource extraction and you know, I study the timber industry, uh, and most of the roads I ride on now are exist because uh, of some type of of uh, timber cutting operation. And so, I think I'm always thinking about like the roads that I'm on and why they exist, and like both the fact that they bring me to these amazing natural wonders, but they're also there to fuel 
you know, a resource economy. Like these roads don't exist for bike packing, you know? <laughs> so, um, so I'm always thinking about it, but also always so grateful that these gravel roads do exist because that's how I get to do the thing I love doing. Yeah. Do you think, so with your eventual degree, what is your, what do you hope to accomplish? What's your goal? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I hope to finish it. <laughs> Fair. Fair I've enough. got about a year left. Um, and right now I facilitate a, what's called the Forest Collaborative, which is a group of public stakeholders like timber companies, environmental groups, local chambers of commerce um, come together and they try to find consensus around forest management so they can create suggestions that the Forest Service might implement. Uh, it's kind of like a way to avoid um, litigation or like intense conflict amongst different natural resource uh, groups or in interested parties. And that's kind of like where I see myself as kind of out in the field working with communities and trying to like develop capacity to respond to wildfire or other natural hazards or climate change. Um, and so it's pretty cool. Like I work in the forest that I ride in. Um, and so I'm always like riding past sites that I'm talking about or researching. Uh, so it's really connected. What um, you mentioned, and we, and I have a little inside information here because we talked about this in the, the, the ghost podcast, but <laughs> um, I want to talk more about your trip to Alaska because that sounds really incredible. Like how did that, how did that come about? Cause that's not even like, I'm going to go to Alaska and just like, ride around in camp like that's it's such a specific thing to go and talk to people like tell yeah. me more about that trip yeah in 2018 uh, a friend Brooke Larson and I applied for the Lale uh, Rides Alaska scholarship Lale Wilcox put together a, a bike scholarship for trans femme women to uh, apply to go on a bike packing trip and that year it was in Alaska it's been other places in the past um, and she's from Alaska and had ridden every road in Alaska the summer before. So she's pretty aware of all the potential <laughs> routes. <laughs> um, I think Lail's ridden every road ever. Ever. All, she's ridden like, all the ever. roads and she's ridden them the fastest that anyone can ride. Them. <laughs> yeah. So um, my Brooke and I applied for the scholarship with the, the proposed project of doing these interviews with people affected by climate change. Uh, and the proposed route was from Seward down in kind of southern Alaska up to the very north on the Arctic Ocean uh, dead horse. And so the route kind of follows the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline. And it's 500 miles of pavement and 500 miles of gravel on the Dalton Highway. And we ended up getting the scholarship and doing the ride. And we spoke to something like 30 different people about you know the impacts climate change has had on their life and it was just it was the most amazing trip uh I don't want to say of my life because I hope I have more amazing trips ahead of me but <laughs> it's definitely so far the most amazing opportunity that I've had uh to spend time somewhere and also the hardest biking I have ever done uh, <laughs> I bet. And, yeah what were some of the biggest challenges there I think, well, it was really cold and, um, and raining a lot and, uh, it's, 
it's extremely hard to find plus size raincoats, so I didn't have like a real rain jacket. Uh, oh, so I was I was often pretty wet, but the the Dalton Highway is a really challenging road. Um, and I forget. I think I've blocked out from my memory like <laughs> how many feet of elevation. Yeah, yes. Sometimes it comes back to me like in these memories. I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, but <laughs> that that road, I think Lale just rode it uh, in like three or four days. And On I a think unicycle. It took, yeah. Yeah, and it, it took us like uh, the eleven hardest days of my life like, <laughs> to do that ride, <laughs> and it was it was so intensely difficult, but also it was the coolest. I mean, you get to bike past the Arctic Circle, you see muskox and foxes, and we saw a snowy owl, and wow. the it's a lot of it's a you know it's a haul road, so it's a lot of truckers, and they were the nicest drivers I have ever encountered they often stop and like hand you snacks or Motrin nice. you know or, or, or <laughs> Diet Coke you know and, Motrin and, they're like, yeah. they're like you could use some ibuprofen yeah they definitely <laughs> handed us that <laughs> yeah it was just it was amazing and the views you get to go over the Brooks Range it's just an incredible mountain range so it's incredible uh and also a really hard ride so I, I mean, I'm really, it's the proudest I am of, of or I'm the proudest of that bike ride, definitely. Um, but I don't know if I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the, the riding Alaska is like a bucket list thing for me. I've never been to Alaska. And it's funny, every time I talk to someone about riding there, I'm like, you know, maybe I'll put it off for another couple of years. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like a, amazing. Because those places you would probably just drive through otherwise, and then you wouldn't get to spend, you know, an hour climbing this one mountain pass and just staring at the same mountain for that time. You know, you just buzz <laughs> yeah. right past it and probably not notice. So I think it's the best way to, to do it. And I, I will go back to Alaska. My sister lives there. So I'll, my plan is to do some riding, but I probably won't do that ride. <laughs> <laughs> What are um you mentioned that it's hard to find plus size gear. Um is that yeah. changing and has have any companies like reached out to you for your input on that? Yeah, um it is changing and I will say bike specific clothing um like bike, you know, padded shorts um especially there have been plus sizes for a little while but companies are getting a lot better and I've partnered with Machines for Freedom uh who provides who carries bibs in up to 3XL for for women and uh I know Marley's done the same with Pearl Azumi so there's lots of companies uh you know Kitsbo is working on it Velocio uh tons of companies are working on getting more plus size gear Shre uh, Shredley for mountain bike shorts has great plus size options for women. Most of my suggestions are like women specific because I am a woman, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I wear. But um, I think it's getting better and companies recognize, you know, it's the majority of American women are, are in plus size clothing uh, size range. So it's no doubt 
a money-making venture to have plus-size clothing in your biking clothing line. And so that's that's changing. What I think is a little slower to change is like technical gear, um, like like a good raincoat or a good puffy jacket. Those have been the hardest items to find. And that might not matter if you're just going on some road bike rides by your house, but for bike packing, uh, it can be, you know, it can be downright dangerous not to have the proper, you know, cold weather gear. And it has been for me dangerous in the past. So I hope we see some changes in good technical, you know, water repellent gear in the future. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Alternately, I think you just hit on a great business plan. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And someone else can take it because I don't have time to make a raincoat company. (laughs) Fair enough. What's what's next for you you've you've had a really amazing few years like what do you have any bucket list stuff coming up and what is the bucket list bike trip that you haven't done yeah. like uh i know we didn't we talked about not being rail specific but everyone has those places they dream of, of riding totally yeah i want to ride i want to do the great divide uh i want to do the oregon timber trail those feel like very tangible things that i'm planning to do in the next couple of years I also would really love to ride in Patagonia, um, and that feels like a little further off, probably, uh, and do some, like, hotel touring around Scotland and Japan. So. Yeah, um. Scotland, Scotland, I feel like, yeah, I would love to do something like Scotland, where you're just, like, pub to pub. Yeah, that's the plan, yeah, just yeah. credit card tour there, I don't need to bring a tent, you know. <laughs> yeah lots of plans my first plan is to finish my phd and then <laughs> then i'm gonna do a lot more Fair biking <laughs> um so what what is your phd do you have your thesis do you know what you're doing it on yet yeah i study the the groups that i mentioned earlier the forest collaboratives um i study two different groups in oregon and kind of the dynamics of the people who work together in the groups and then how the the different suggestions that they create get implemented or don't get implemented by the forest service and like why that that happens Um, it seems do you find that there's a lot of is there a lot of conflict between local groups and the forest service and the resource extractors is there a lot of like middle ground to be reached or is it is everyone just like so many things so polarized in what they want you know, before they get together, it seems like so polarized that they could never find agreement, but it's pretty, it gives me a lot of hope because when we get people together, they find more agreement more quickly than I think anyone would imagine they would. And especially in forests, uh, and especially in Oregon, because forests are really dynamic here, so there's there's a million ways to cut or not cut trees or restore ecosystems or watersheds there's so many ways to do it that like one of those ways is going to meet the interests of more people uh than than the other ways that we've been doing it so there's like a ton of possibility and and a lot of these people 
um, haven't spoken to each other before in this type of way. <laughs> you know, they yeah. they don't they don't meet and and talk about their common interests or the fact that they all love the landscape or that they all live in the watershed. You know, they all need healthy water and clean air and and so once you get people together, there's there is a lot more commonality um, in these local communities than I think has been given credit to historically. So there's just there's so much possibility there. Yeah, I think there's something to be said to, you know, the keyword there is coming together. And I think, yeah, you know, it's so easy to, and we see this on such a large scale in this country, like to make someone the other, but once you humanize them and bring them together and you're like, like you're face to face, I think it's so much different. Like it's, it's yep. like the internet troll thing. Like it's easy to jump on an avatar on Twitter and like scream totally. and say things. But like that person, like when you get in a room with them, is just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's really just different when you're sitting with them and or having a beer, and you know the national issues kind of fall away when we're talking about wildfire risk for this for sure. one town. You know, like it it no longer matters what political party you are a part of if all of your houses are at risk of of catching fire. And so totally, I th- totally it's kind agree. of like the great, you know, it's a great uni- unionizer. I should have picked a word I could say, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it brings people together. So, yeah. I mean, hopefully at some point um, everyone can do that around climate change because it's kind of, yeah. that's a macro version of, of you know, exactly. a much larger issue. Have you had to deal with any fires up there this year? We've been really lucky. Um, I've been west of the fires about this time last year was when we had our really bad uh, wildfire and smoke. And a lot of folks from fires ended up in Corvallis displaced by the fires. But this year, uh, the Willamette Valley and the, the fire or the forests around us haven't burned yet. You know, it's we've still got a couple months of fire season, but south of here and and east of here have burned. Uh, and obviously, you know, California's got some pretty bad fires right now, yeah. but we're lucky to not have, have the terrible smoke here. That's good. What, um, how can people, I know you do clinics, why don't you, let's talk a little bit about that. And then I want to make sure people know how to find you totally, um, and how to get involved. Yeah, we, you know, for All Bodies on Bikes, we put on some different types of workshops, both for industry and for, you know, just people who ride bikes. We have some uh, classes to instruct on how to get into bike packing, uh, how to buy a bike or, or figure out what type of bike you need, especially for people in larger bodies. Um, and then, uh, you know, you can find us at, we've got our website, allbodiesonbikes.com. Um, there's also my website, KayleeKornhauser.com. I think the spelling will probably be in the episode notes because I have a long name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and we post everything on our Instagram, which is all bodies on bikes and our Facebook page as well. Uh, and the Facebook, the Facebook group, I just cannot recommend highly enough. If you're on Facebook, it is the most positive community of people, which no thanks to us. Like we just put the group up there. It's like all the people in it just post like such inspiring stuff and everyone comments and supports each other. And it's truly for all, all body sizes, all abilities, all like everyone should join this group. And there's about 2000 people in there just 
kind of hyping each other up all the time. <laughs> That's amazing. And of course, if people want to find you, they can find you just at Kaylee Kornhauser on Instagram. Yeah, my yeah. If you type my name in or my Instagram name is Kornhauser Sauce. So. Oh right. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So Perfect. my last name and the word sauce. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kaylee, I know you have a plane to catch. Thank you so much for doing this again. Um, no problem. And, Thank uh, you. Can't wait to see what you do next, and hopefully we get to ride together sometime soon. Absolutely. Awesome. Talking shit about a pretty sunset Blanket and opinions that I'll probably regret soon Changed my mind so much I can't even trust it My mind changed me so much I can't even trust myself (laughs) 